Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our evening service. Before we begin, let's bow in a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for this time we have to gather together and worship you. As Pastor Stone reads from and then teaches from your word, give him the words to speak and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, I am resting.
Good evening. I bring greetings from the congregation at Fellowship Baptist Church in Perry Sound. Um, and it's good for myself and Esther and our little one Owen to be with you this evening. Our scripture reading this evening is found in Isaiah chapter 6. That's Isaiah chapter 6. Passage probably well known to many of you. Isaiah chapter 6. We'll be starting in verse 1 and reading through the entire chapter. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants, The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming, as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. At this time, let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this amazing and wonderful encounter of Isaiah coming before you in all your glory and majesty. And Lord, even this evening, we know that in and of ourselves, we can never come before you. We would never even dare utter such a a prayer. But yet, we come with bold confidence not in and of ourselves, but in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who by his birth, perfect life, death, his substitutionary atonement, his burial, his resurrection and ascension, all this has been done so that we might be reconciled to you, that we might have access into the most holy place, For that veil in the temple has been torn in two. We may enter in knowing, yes, we are sinners. But knowing that our sins have been cleansed, removed as far as the east is from the west. Though they are like scarlet, they have been made as white as snow. 
Oh Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this plentiful redemption. Thank you for this forgiveness of sin. And so we may boldly come in, casting ourselves before your mercy and grace, knowing that you care for us, knowing that we may call you Father. You have adopted us. Oh, what wonders. And so, Lord, we come and we cast our hearts before you. Lord, we have many things upon our hearts and minds, troubles and trials, sickness and sores. And Lord, you are altogether glorious. And so we bow before you and ask that you would strengthen, that you would touch, that you would encourage us. Lord, open our eyes even this evening that we may see wondrous things from your word. Teach us and guide us by your spirit. Oh Lord, we think of those that are not able to be here this evening because of sickness or traveling. Give them a special sense of your mercy. Give them um, deep understanding of your word. We thank you for um, Rial and his recovery. And I know this church is looking forward to seeing him again in a couple days. I also pray that you would be with this assembly as they are seeking a shepherd. Oh Lord, you know that their desire is that you would bring forth a man that would lead them, that would meet the qualifications of scripture, that would humbly lead them and guide them and preach your word powerfully. And so Lord, we ask that you would raise someone up for that and you would bring them here. Father, that is a deep, deep desire upon our hearts. We know there is a need for a shepherd here. And so, Lord, we leave that with you, knowing that you are the giver of good and perfect gifts. And so we wait upon you. O Lord, burden and touch our hearts this evening as we come to your word. Oh, that we may see excellent and wonderful things, that we would be encouraged and built up. Yes, even rebuked and corrected, O Lord that you might receive all the glory, honor, and praise, for you are worthy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I need thee every hour.
Once again, if you have your Bibles, join with me in opening to Second Chronicles chapter 26. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 26. A couple weeks ago, um, our daughter uh, Guinevere celebrated her second birthday. And she knew her birthday was coming up. And so she'd wake up about a week and a half before and be like, is birthday today? And we'd be like, no, no. And we'd try to show her in the calendar that it was still coming in the future. And she'd be like, okay. And then she'd go for a nap and wake up, is birthday now? And as she, as it got closer, we began putting up decorations in the house. There were, she wanted uh, uh, rubber duckies as her theme for her birthday. So we had little pictures of rubber duckies that the kids, other kids had colored on the walls. And she'd be like, birthday, birthday, birthday today? And we'd be like, no, no, not yet today. And she'd be like, but, but duckies, like there's, everything's already, why are we not celebrating my birthday right now? And there's that enthusiasm, that desire, oh, my birthday is coming soon. When you come to the books of both Kings and Chronicles in Scripture, you come in waiting for something to happen. You know that something great and wonderful is on the horizon. You've seen signs of it. You've heard promises of it. And every new king that comes and sits down on the throne comes with an expectation that this might be the one. If you've read from Genesis all the way into Kings and Chronicles, then you know that God has a plan. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and made everything good and wonderful. But yet sin entered into the world as Adam and Eve took and ate of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin entered into the world. And even though God brought a curse down upon creation, there was a promise that one day there would come a son of man who would crush the serpent's head, that would destroy this evil wickedness and put an end to the curse. And so people had been waiting in expectation, even Eve, When she had her first son, Cain, said, is this the one? Is this the one we've been waiting for? And yet it didn't happen. All the way to the coming of Noah. Is this the one? Is Noah the one? And again and again in Scripture we find these ones that come, that people say, this could be it. This could be the Messiah. But yet it ends up that they are not. They fall and they fail. They do not keep what the Lord said the Messiah would be like. And as we work our way through history, we see God choosing Abraham and through him Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel that he rescues out of Egypt and brings to the promised land. And he promises that through that nation, all the peoples of the world will be blessed, that one will come. There's even talk of it coming from the tribe of Judah. And then eventually we come to King David. A man after God's own heart. And as David sits upon the throne after his many trials and struggles and tribulations with Saul and with Israel, God makes a promise to David and says, One of your sons will be that Messiah. One of your sons will indeed be the King of kings and Lord of lords, and his throne and dominion shall last forever. So one from the line of David will be the one that will crush the serpent's head, that will bring redemption, that will bring salvation. And so as each new king takes the stage, there's that question, is this the one? Is this finally the Messiah we have been waiting for? And it's easy for us. We know who the Messiah is. We know that Christ came in the fullness of time, born of the Virgin Mary. 
And so when we come to Kings and Chronicles, often we, we kind of read through them and we, we don't get the idea that each new king brings that hope for the people of that time. And Kings and Chronicles, by their very nature, show us that none of these individuals, none of these kings were perfectly able to keep that promise. None of them were the Messiah. But yet there is always that expectation. And as you open Second Chronicles 26, we come face to face with one of those kings, a king by the name of Uzziah. And as we begin to read, we'll see how Uzziah at first looks like that he might indeed be the Messiah. Let's read together Second Chronicles chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father, Amaziah, had done. We're introduced to King Uzziah here, and he's called Azariah in Kings, but here he takes on his royal title of Uzziah. And he comes to the throne and reigns for 52 years from 790 BC to 739 BC. And he's one of the good kings of Israel. There had been all sorts of trial and struggles and tribulation in the north where bad king upon bad king. During Uzziah's reign, there are seven kings in the north, most of them murdering and killing each other. And even down in the south in Judah, there had been a, a turning away of the people's hearts from the Lord. They had forsaken the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They had turned to idols. And usually they were led by the kings. The king was supposed to represent God to the people, even as the high priest represented the people back to God. And after bad king after bad king, finally Uzziah comes to the throne. And he does what is right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Uzziah seeks the face of the Lord, and the promises God gives to Israel way back in Deuteronomy come to pass. God promised to the people of Israel that if they followed him, that he would bless them. That he would give them the early and the late rains. They, they would not have to worry about disease and destruction and invasion. If they turned their hearts to him, he would rescue them. And he would revive their nation. And we see that happening in the time of Uzziah. There is a religious revival. Helped by the prophet Zechariah. And this is not the same Zechariah as the book of Zechariah. That's a prophet that comes far later after the exile. But this is another prophet by that name. Helps Uzziah. Leads him and encourages him. And so there is a time of great peace. There is a time of religious revival. And not only that, it's a great time of military conquest. Verse 6. For he, Uzziah, went out and made war against the Philistines. And broke down the wall of Gath, the walls of Jebeneth, and the walls of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and amongst the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Galbael, and against the Mennonites. Also the Amorites brought tribute to Uzziah. 
His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. Here is not only a man who has started a religious revival, but he's begun a conquest, reclaiming not only the territory that had been lost over many years to the nation of Israel, but going beyond and claiming territory that had never been in their hands. He captures Elath, one of the seaports, so that they were able to do trade into the Mediterranean. Things are going well with Uzziah. Religious revival, military might and conquest, bold construction as we continue on, verse 9. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the corner buttresses of the wall when he fortified them. Also he built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mount and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Here's a man of construction, a man who wants to build up that which has been broken down, a man that loves also, despite being a king in charge of a vast military in front of lots of war, he also loves the agrarian life. He loves to farm. And there's a picture here going back to Genesis. When God creates Adam, he makes him a farmer. He wants him to work the earth, to till and to sow. And so there's a picture here of Uzziah as the king, using these same Hebrew words that were given to Adam. Here is a man who seems to have it all. Here might just be the Messiah. You can imagine the people, the expectation, could this be the one? Could this be the one we're waiting for? He's, he's turned our hearts back to the Lord. He's conquered our enemies. He's built up what has been destroyed. He's making the the trees and the the vineyards grow. The land is fertile. Things are going well. And Uzziah builds up a great military to protect what has been built up. Verse 11, Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number of their roles as prepared by Jael the scribe, Manasseh the officer, under the hands of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of the chief officers, the mighty men of valor, was 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemies. Then Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows and slings to cast stones. And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men, to be on the towers and on the corners, to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. The picture here is supposed to remind our minds back earlier in Chronicles to the kingdom of Solomon. Uh, his fame is known all the way to Egypt. All around the world, people hear of the great construction and the might of Uzziah. It really is a golden age in Jerusalem. And the people are sitting back rejoicing. But yet, even in the midst of all that Uzziah has done, we see a great and mighty fall. As we read in Proverbs, pride cometh before destruction. And that last verse of verse 15 puts kind of that darkness in our hearts. He was marvelously helped. The Lord led him and guide him till he became strong. Not that he was made strong, but that he considered himself 
strong. He thought he had done this great and mighty thing by himself. My mind goes back to King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, who, if you remember the story, he's warned in a dream that his pride will get the better of him and bring his destruction. And for a little while, Nebuchadnezzar takes this to heart. Kind of makes him stand back a little bit. But eventually, one day, as he's walking along the tower in Babylon, he looks out over the great kingdom, the hanging gardens, the great ziggurat of Babylon, and goes, look at all that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have made. And Nebuchadnezzar had a tendency to think of himself as a god. Look at all that I have done. If you remember what happens next in the passage, he's struck down. He loses his mind. He gets the mind of an animal and is forced out of Babylon, loses his kingship, forced to eat grass like an animal until eventually he comes to his senses. And here, something horribly similar happens to King Uzziah. Though he is great, though he has done great things for the Lord, yet his eyes get off of the Lord and on to himself. He begins to think of all the things that he has done, how great he is. And so he thinks, I can do all this. I am the most important. Maybe even he thinks he might be the Messiah himself. And so one day he gets up, and the pride that had been hiding in his heart bursts forth for all to see. For that morning as he leaves his house, he goes out into the courts and gathers together some of the most finest smelling spices that he can find, and mixes together them all in a gold goblet, and walks into the temple. Verse 16, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, by entering into the temple of the Lord, to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they withstood King Uzziah. Can you imagine this? Uzziah gets his goblet and probably carries it proudly into the temple courts, and all the priests kind of look up and go, oh, what are you doing here? This isn't, this isn't the normal time for you to show up. And he kind of marches by them. And then they begin to don what he's about to do. He's about to go into the holy place. The temple had two inner buildings, the holy place and the most holy place. The most holy place behind a giant curtain held the Ark of the Covenant, to which only the high priest was able to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, bearing the blood of a lamb as a picture of atonement for all the nation of Israel. And then the holy place, which was right next to it, also covered by a veil. In there was um, where the showbread and the menorah was kept, and also the altar of incense. And Uzziah was headed in to burn incense, something that was only allowed by specific priests at certain times, chosen by lot to go in and enter. That's where we find Zechariah in the beginning of Luke, going into the inner room to burn incense. And King Uzziah thinks that he can do it. And immediately, Azariah, the high priest, gets 80 of the other priests, and they run and try to stop him. Can you imagine this gang of priests running up to Uzziah and basically grabbing him and being like, you can't do this, you can't do this. They valiantly withstood, verse 18, King Uzziah, and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. 
But for the priests, the son of Aaron, who were consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. They come and they run up to him and be like, get out, get out, get out. What do you think you're doing? Can you imagine how heartbreaking also this would be for the priests? Here's a man I'm sure they love and respect. He's turned the people's hearts back. Great military conqueror, victor, builder. And here he is throwing everything away, going into the temple. And the, the, what he's doing deserves death. Numbers chapter 18 verse 7 says that any who enter into the holy place that are not consecrated to do so will die. Let us not forget Nahab and Abihu who took the incense, the wrong incense, and walked into the tabernacle and were struck dead. Or the rebellion that happened um, also in Leviticus. All this fell upon Leviticus chapter 10 and Numbers chapter 12. These two times that the people rebelled against the Aaronic priesthood. And it cost them. Death and destruction fell upon them. For the Lord had said that the priesthood belongs to the son of Aaron, even as the kingship belonged to the house of Judah. The king represented the people to God, and the high priest represented the people back to God. And now Uzziah was usurping both these things as he walked into the temple. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23 reads, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will return or retain honor. That's actually the most quoted psalm in the new, uh, proverb in the New Testament. Quoted both in passing by Jesus, also by James in James chapter 4, verse 6, and Peter in 1 Peter 5, 5. A man's pride will bring him low. And that's what we see here with Uzziah. He is brought low. And the priests, out of love, try to come and grab him. Try to bring him back. They're really putting into practice what James will say in James chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let them know that he who turns a sinner from his error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's what these priests are trying to do. They run in and try to rescue King Uzziah. And what I find fascinating in the text is nothing has happened to Uzziah yet. Uzziah has already, it seems, passed the first veil and is already preparing to to pour out his incense on the altar. And he hasn't been struck down yet. And Azariah the high priest grabs him, come back, come back. They're pleading with him. Come back from destruction. And yet we see in verse 19 his response. Notice he isn't struck until this response. Verse 19, Then Uzziah became furious. He was full of wrath. You could almost imagine his face going red and him turning around and basically screaming at these guys, Get away from me. I can do what I want to do. Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, probably fighting them off, yelling at them, Leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests of the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And the idea here is looked at him with horror. And here on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out. Just I, I love the language here. They pushed him out as fast as they could. Chucked him out. They hurried to get him out because... The Lord had struck him. 
King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death, and he dwelt in an isolated house, a quarantine house, because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham his son was king over the house, judging the people of Israel. Now the rest of the Acts of Uzziah, from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote, So Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belongs to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. Then Jotham his son reigned in his place. Thus ends the life of Uzziah, a man who seemed to be going well, but in the end his pride destroyed him. Turn with me, if you would, over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, looking at verses 9 to 14. That's Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Also, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Uzziah thought in his mind, I am great. I have caused a revival to the one true God. I have conquered. I have built. I am worthy to go, as it were, into the temple. God will accept me for all that I have done. But yet his pride led to his destruction. His pride led to his leprosy, and he was cast out. Yet even in the midst of that, there is still mercy shown to Uzziah. As I said, Uzziah deserves death. Numbers 18, verse 7. He deserves to be killed, but yet the Lord showed mercy on Uzziah by not striking him dead, but yet giving him leprosy so that he might be brought to repentance. Because as we read in Second Chronicles, notice the wording specifically when he goes in, offering incense, what, to the Lord, his God. Uzziah, despite his pride, despite his arrogance, is still a true believer in the Lord. He is still truly one who is trusting in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and waiting for that redemption, even if he might have been deluded into thinking he might be the one to bring it. But yet we ourselves need to be careful that we watch our lives, even as believers. It is so easy to have lived a life Following the Lord, obeying Him, loving His Word, walking in His way, attending the fellowship of believers. And yet, pride so insidiously can get into our lives and lead us astray. Thinking that because of what we've done, we deserve something from God. Yet, we ought to have the mindset of the prophet Isaiah. We read Isaiah chapter 6. Notice what it happens. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah is taken from earth into heaven, into that heavenly temple, 
into the throne room of God, that place where Isaiah couldn't, I mean, um, Uzziah couldn't go into the earthly one, and now Isaiah is in the heavenly one. No wonder he falls on his face and says, I'm undone. If King Uzziah couldn't stand before you on earth, how can I ever stand before you in heaven? He humbles himself, falls down. I am a man of unclean lips. Here's a man who's a prophet. His job is to speak the word of God. And yet the thing he is most ashamed of is his unclean lips. But the Lord in mercy purges him from that coal on the altar covered in blood. So it is with us living on the other side of the cross. What do we have that allows us to stand before God? What is it that we have that allows us to walk in righteousness? What can take away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but Christ by his perfect life and atonement, his death and resurrection. That is what has reconciled us to God. That is what allows us to stand before him. Not our righteousness, not what we have done, not by works, not by our own righteousness, but by Christ is what he has done. When we fled to the mercy and grace of Christ, it was not us, but yet him. It was by his spirit. How wonderful and merciful is the Lord God. And how wonderful that makes the gospel. Have you ever thought about that for a second? That the gospel is all of grace. All of what Christ has done. Not what we have done. If it was what we have done, then, then somehow some of us would maybe be able to make it and others would not. We could give a list. If you have all these seven things that you've done, you'll make it in. No, it's only one. Christ. Christ and Christ alone. When we come before God, it is in Christ's name. It is in His righteousness that is clothed around us. Yes, we are called to live holy lives. Yes, we are called to pursue righteousness, but not to save us. We pursue them because we've already been saved, and we need to remind ourselves that. All that I have done is only because Christ has given me the power to do it. As we say with Paul, we're unworthy servants. Even after we've done all these things, yet we still find in ourselves weakness. But yet when we are weak, he is strong. Uzziah in his pride thought he had done it, that he was worthy. And yet we, time and time again, need to be reminded that it's Christ. Christ has done it all. Christ has fulfilled it all for us. So that we might rest in Him. That by faith in Him, we have been born again. And by faith in Him, we continue to walk day by day. Even when we fall and we fail and we find ourselves and our faces in the mud Yet we know that it is He that picks us up and washes us off, restores us again. Let us beware of pride in our lives, for each and every one of us can so easily fall into it. It is the very sin that caused Satan to become who he is. That horrible sin of pride, the devil's sin as Jesus calls it. So often we think 
that we're doing so well, but yet our hearts have fallen so far away from the Lord. I think of the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So deceived into thinking that they had done it all, and yet it was the Lord who had given it all to them to begin with. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. James 4, verse 10, Therefore humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. The Lord will exalt in His perfect time when we humble ourselves. Oh, what a work we need to do daily. We need to be praying that the Holy Spirit would work in us, revealing us our sins Revealing pride within our hearts so that we might confess it. Knowing that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Knowing that He is free and freely forgives. I think we feel, and I know this happens to me, we think we've done something and the Lord will somehow not forgive it. That somehow we've sinned in the same way again and again and again. And eventually we've hit a limit. God will no longer forgive. Peter thinks that way. When he comes to Jesus, how often should I forgive this person that sinned against me? Seven times? Jesus says, no. Continue to forgive them. Seventy times seven. The idea here is continually. And yet the Lord in his grace and mercy continues to forgive us. Or do we somehow think that the blood of Christ is limited for us? Think that, oh, Jesus died on the cross for 99 of my sins, but when I use it all up, it's all gone. That's not how Scripture speaks. It says the blood of Christ that forgives for all sins. All our sins. So let us flee to the Lord and confess our need of Him. Daily be in prayer. For that's how we keep from falling into pride. Because as we pray, we by prayer by its very nature says that we depend upon someone greater than ourselves. We admit that we are not God. That's why it's so easy to pray when everything seems to fall apart. I'll admit to you that some of the times I've, I've been most deeply in prayer when I've been sitting with either myself or other people, specifically family member in the hospital, because you know you're powerless. You don't know what's happening in the other room. The diagnosis is. You you know your powerlessness. And so you cry out to the one who is all-powerful, the Alpha and the Omega. And yet, that is us every day. We daily need the leading and guidance of the Lord. It will keep us from pride. King Uzziah showed the people of Israel that they needed someone greater. Greater than Uzziah, greater than Amariah, greater than all the kings that had come before or would come. They needed the very one that Isaiah would speak of shortly after King Uzziah's death. The suffering servant. The one who would come. The virgin that would conceive and bear a son. And we shall call his name what? Emmanuel. God with us.
They needed someone more than a man. They needed a divine man. The son to come and take upon himself humanity, to suffer and die for us so that we might be forgiven. Oh, flee unto the Lord and find that he is willing to forgive. Oh, come to the Lord and find indeed forgiveness of your sins full and free in Christ and in Christ alone. And let us who know him keep ourselves humbly before the throne of grace, constantly asking the Lord that he would strengthen us, that he would guide us, admitting our need of him every moment of every day. For in and of ourselves we will fall and we will fail. Inside of each of us is the ability to act like that Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 or Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26, thinking that we have it all, thinking that we're so great. And before I end, I also want to do the flip side. While some might find themselves tempted in pride that way, there is also a sense that the world, the flesh, and the devil can beat us down to thinking that we are nothing, that we are worthless. And yet that is not true either. We see the beautiful wonder of Scripture, of Jesus Christ. I think of Christ crying over the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets. Why did the Lord send out his people into all the world to proclaim the gospel, the good news? Indeed, you are called to repent and believe the full good news offer to all those that have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because each and every one of us has been made in the image of God. We have intense and worth and value. And indeed, sometimes we think, oh, we're worth nothing, we're useless. But yet the Lord has called us to himself. He has filled us with his spirit. Jesus says that he left even the 99 sheep to go and what? Find the one. Do not think that you are worthless. Indeed, know that Christ has shed his own blood for you. Oh, take heart in a Redeemer who loves you and who sought you and bought you. Oh, may we praise the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you know us even better than we know ourselves. Lord, even while we were yet your enemies... Rebels, deserving of hell and death and judgment, spending eternity outside and away from you. Yet, in the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son to rescue and redeem us. Oh, what amazing grace. Oh, what wonderful words of salvation. Well, we wanted none of it. You sent your Son How great and marvelous and how deep and wonderful and overflowing is your love towards lost sinners. Lord, it's not us. It's nothing we have ever done or said that somehow has earned your favor. Oh Lord, it is all what you have done for us at Calvary with the empty tomb. Oh Lord, you brought life out of death. 
light into the darkness. Lord, we were lost and dead, and yet you breathed into us and gave us life. Oh, how wondrous and glorious. Lord, may we approach you humbly, knowing that we come before you in the name of Christ, our Savior. Lord, help us that we may put pride to death in our lives. It so easily besets us, it eats away at us, it corrupts us until we think we are something, that we have somehow earned your favor, O Lord, that we have the right because of what we've done or said to earn your love. And Lord, that is so far from the truth. O keep us humble. Keep us amazed at your grace. O Lord, build us up. Help us by your spirit to be people of prayer, people in your word, people who trust you, who trust your precious promises, your covenants, and say yes and amen, O Lord. If you have said this, we will believe it. O Lord, teach us and guide us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I surrender all. Thank you. 
We pray that indeed, day by day, we will indeed surrender ourselves all to you, our blessed Savior. What can we say to all that you have done for us but thank you? Lord, we pray that you would bind the things that we have heard and sung and prayed this morning to our hearts, that as we go our separate ways, we would meditate upon them. Oh Lord, we know that there are many things that desire to take our minds off of you, many things that can distract us. But, O Lord, keep our eyes fixed upon you, for you are worthy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.